Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Welcome back to Reframing Our Stories. I'm so glad you have joined us today. I want to let you know that we have quite a few events that are coming up in Sacramento. So if you are local, you should head over to reframingourstories.com and check out the event tab because there's quite a few things happening at Haven for Birth. And then we will also be doing more puberty classes for parents and kids coming up as well. So you should check those out so that you can sign up for those uh, workshops because we love seeing you and helping your family have conversations around sexual health. I'm very excited today uh, for my guest who I find to be pretty amazing. This person is who I knew I wanted when I knew that I needed to talk about male sexuality. We've had a lot of conversations pertaining to women on the show, and I know that I have a lot of men who listen as well, and this was requested. When I met this person on a Zoom, his name is Dr. Reese Malone, I knew that he was the person I wanted to talk to. I am just continually impressed when I hear Dr. Malone speak. I would describe him as caring, intentional, justice-minded, calm, collaborative, and inclusive. When you are around him, you know that there is a place for you. Dr. Reese Malone is a distinguished sexologist holding a master's in public health and a doctorate in human sexuality. He is a certified sex therapist and educator as well as a supervisor through ASECT, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. He has a private practice and also teaches at multiple universities and has a number of publications. Dr. Malone, I'm so honored to have you on my show. So thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to engage in this discussion with you. Yay. Um, so, you know, on my show, we have talked a lot about uh, female sexuality, uh, and we haven't given as much attention to male sexuality. And I know that I've read a lot of your blogs on your website, and I know that you have addressed the way that the patriarchy and toxic masculinity also affects men, because I know what it feels like as a woman and how that affects us. So can you speak more to that and how you believe it affects males? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And so my thoughts about it, not just come from an academic viewpoint, but also from the vulnerable work that is done in my office, uh, the vulnerable work that is done when I'm hired as a, a corporate coach as well, mm -hmm. even though we're talking about equity, I'm often engaged in conversations with men and um, when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a, a vulnerable component in terms of um, what does it mean for you to wield power, whether mm. you want it or not. Yeah. And in the, in the therapy room, I'm often talking about um, patriarchy and inviting men to engage with me with how um, our systems, male expectations, how has it um how what first of all how was it introduced mm. to you yeah in your development years how'd you learn about it um what do you think about it what do mm. you do with it and in many cases men who come into my office who would i would say stereotypically are very masculine um align with um very gendered tropes of what their body should look like, what profession should they should have, the roles that they should they should have. And in the most part, you would assume that they wouldn't talk about their experience. They're not the kind of guys or the type type of guys 
mm-hmm. that would talk about their experience. And men would start off and say to me, um, I'm a little bit quiet and it's, and it's um, hard for me um, to explain myself. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to explain. Yeah. And um, we'll sit there and I'll just invite him to um, take his time mm-hmm. and just share with me what comes up. What are you mm-hmm. feeling? And he'll just sit there and we'll just sit there quietly. And then he'll start to um, share his experiences um, of what it means to be a man and the yeah. expectations of what it means to be a man. When he sits there in silence and then finally he, you know, we, we look at each other and I share with him, did you know that your expression of silence is you expressing emotions hmm. and you're expressing introspection. You're expressing the need to just slow yourself down and not feel that you need to answer right away. And he would say, can you tell my wife that? You know, <laughs> so that's the first thing that he, you know, typically what he would say is like, can you, um, can you tell my wife that? Because when she comes at me, and this is kind of typical language, when she comes at me, I never know what to say. Mm. I never know what to say. And I, I get mixed up with my words. I freeze. I don't know what to say. And I, you know, would, you know, share with him that, that the need for introspection and just sitting with your feelings is a valid um, response. And, mm. you know, and I said, this is what it means to be vulnerable, to sit yeah. in you know, what's coming up for you. And we start right from the beginning, uh, reframing what vulnerability means. Yeah. And throughout our sessions together, he would, uh, you know, you know, start off as his very close arms crossed. By the time we're done, he's relaxed into his shoulders are down. He's relaxed into his body and would, you know, share these wonderful stories or these hard stories about growing up. And we don't use, I don't use terminology like patriarchy in the room, but I certainly will use terminology like pressure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Expectations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by my sessions are typically 60, but for many of these men who are supposedly can't talk, we go well beyond 60, 90, two hours sometimes And I would say to him, the man that's in front of me, is this the man at home? The Mm. man in front of me who is deeply expressive, who shows emotions, is this the man that you are at home? And he most often says no. Mm. And I would say, this is the man that I think your partner wants to see and wants to experience. Can you be this man like all the time, all mm. the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, he would stop and sometimes he would laugh about it. And, and he would say, um, it, it's hard. Like I could, this is why I'm here in this room. And I'll say, why? And he'll say, because I feel safe. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be criticized. I'm not going to be judged. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be told I've done wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you are seeing my effort. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to say or show that to my partner, usually female. Mm-hmm. So we talk about patriarchy um, in, in those contexts of the different roles that he plays with um, at home with his friends, with his family at work? And then how does he show up for himself? What mm-hmm. does that mean for him to really listen to um, what's going on in his core? Yeah. Uh, and that's what we cultivate in the office. And while he comes to see me because we're talking about his uh, quote unquote erectile dysfunction or his quote unquote performance anxiety, we often, um, transgress those topics and go right to you know who are you as a as a being right as a way of addressing quote-unquote sexual dysfunctions which is Mm -hmm. a a word that I don't use I also don't use the term toxic masculinity 
either. Okay. There's certain words that I don't use in office because I, I don't find them very useful for him. Sure. Um, and these are buzzwords now that are so that that are associated with stigma, uh, and that further isolate him. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of an art form. I think sometimes a bit of a strategy in how to talk to men in meaningful ways, and for us to create space for men to um, really connect with what is happening for them, mm-hmm. and for us to support in their literacy and languaging it, you know, for themselves and then sharing that with other people. Mm-hmm. There's so much that I like want to address that you just talked about. <laughs> for one, I was like, okay, some of this rings true for even in my relationship, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, I've had my husband say before, like, I just need a moment to process, you know, like, I think, wow. I feel like as females, maybe we, you know, we've been given that permission to feel our emotions and we've been able to, I maybe recognize them more quickly. And I get this even from young kids when I teach, uh, I do a lot of talking about relationships and puberty and stuff with young kids. And from very early on, uh, the boys tell me, well, that's all great, but I'm, I'm not allowed to show this. I'm not allowed to cry. I'm not allowed to do this. And so we talk about what that does and we talk about how does that make you feel? And at a young age, I recognize that these young men are able to be like, well, that not being able to show my sadness makes me angry mm-hmm. and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not fair and it's hurtful, you know? And then I think about these expectations and before I was a sex educator, I was a youth minister. And I was, I worked within a a pretty wealthy area and I would have these young men come into my office and start crying. And I would be like, what's happening? And they were like, the pressure is too much. You know, I already have to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and what's success? You know, like I have to get all these really good grades. I'm not great at school. I have to get the top grades so then I can get in this, the best school so I can make all the money. And then I also have to have a girlfriend, you know, like that was labeled success too, of being able to have a partner and things like that. And I just feel like they're very in tune to our, to that messaging, like you were talking about, that we get at a very young age of how we're supposed to be and what those expectations and pressure are. Yeah. You know, and I really appreciate that you've cultivated a space for men, boys, adolescents, to share vulnerably what they're feeling and you know what stood out for me what you shared immediately was you know the that his inability to express sadness mm-hmm. makes him angry mm-hmm. and how often do boys and adolescents cultivate the association now of or you know, conflate sadness and anger Mm-hmm. because they cannot and then what to do with that anger right and, and right. how to express that anger typically don't don't express it but that too is stigmatizing when we're we're not we, or we can do a better job in honoring feelings and mm-hmm. how you know and literacy and how and what to do with those feelings quite mm-hmm. frankly mm-hmm. yeah so, i yeah, I was just gonna say I've been telling a lot of my kids. I'm like, hi, I'm like, I don't know if you know, but we're human, and so all humans <laughs> feel lots of emotions. We feel anger, you know, because I think girls are told we can't be angry, and so I'm like, we can feel anger, we can feel sadness, and then I'm like, because we need to feel them, because if we don't, they stay with us, yeah. and it hurts later. Yeah. I'm like, so do everything you can. I'm so I'm like, I give you permission if you need to go into your room and close the door. I cry or scream, you may do so. <laughs> like, just do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Something also that you said that I think is really important is this, what men talk about is this sense of expectations mm-hmm. um, or are told explicitly um, t- these expectations to perform or to succeed or in terms of kind of more the tangible stuff to make the money, the cars or this, that. And it and success though, and especially with the men that I work with, this is also intersectional, mm-hmm. which I think we need to 
acknowledge, and especially um, with communities and cultures where it is more collectivist in nature, that his accumulation, the capitalism of it, and the internalized yeah. capitalism of it, also means that you make your community proud. You mm -hmm. make your family proud. You are the, the hope of the family to succeed in ways that um, their family, family of origin, did not have or have access to. Mm -hmm. So there's this additional pressure on men that we need to unpack. I, I'm re recalling, you know, one man that I worked with and he's, um, he's racialized, he's black. And he would talk about the expectations of not just being a man, but to be a proud black man and sure. what that means for his family and for his father who um, has come from socioeconomic disadvantage, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, it, it is, um, I think it's incumbent on us to really, uh, you know, hold space for not just the, not just for, not just to acknowledge in a very exclusive way that men, and this is very binary, that men who value capitalism are bad people or right. that it's evil or this or that. There are, it's important for us to recognize the reasons underneath that, mm -hmm. why many men um, prescribe to capitalism mm -hmm. yeah. and um, inherent um, patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, you know, I, I, you're right, historically, that women have more permission in our culture and society to engage in these meaningful discussions. Men also want to engage in these meaningful discussions. They truly do. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on forums, I was actually reviewing a forum, quite frankly, um, this morning on it's a forum on um, rating escorts that people have um, engaged with. And it's primarily men who yeah. would be on these forums and uh, want to engage with one another about who's a safe escort and who's a safe sex worker. And these are kind of like, from a sociological point of view, I'm reading these forums and also participating um, that these men are really uh, mindful of emotional safety boundaries, exploitation, pleasure, um, connection with whom they are, with the service provider. They want meaningful connections. They're asking each other, who are these people that are not just going to be performative in the work that they do? And so hmm. it, it's a fascinating look at how, when there is a private space and men give themselves permission to go there with each themselves and each other, yeah. you'll be surprised yeah. of, you know, how they're speaking. If you don't know that that this is a forum uh, uh, that is um, about sex work, you, you know, the, the, gen, the gendered cues in terms of, oh, that must be a, that must be a woman speaking, mm. you know, that kind of, you, you know, it's, you could, it, 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 it actually um, made me pause in terms of the the need for more spaces for men to engage emotionally uh, with themselves and with other men. That's really fascinating to me. Do you believe then, is there, where can we cultivate those spaces then in a much more like accessible way for them and to be able to nurture that, right? And do you feel, and where are we, I guess, as women lacking to do mm. that? Oh, okay. I'm not sure how to, okay. Both of your questions are so, so deep and profound. <laughs> um, I, well, let me, let me address the first question. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a, this is a, a systemic ecological intrapersonal interpersonal um, responsibility mm. and the responsibility of our systems that treat men with dignity um, that, um, we cannot, regardless of the gender, a we need to be aware of how we, it um how we internalize patriarchy, how we internalize misogyny, how we internalize misandry, how we internalize that, and how do we um, collude with 
Mm-hmm. How do we, how do all of us, regardless of gender, collude with these, these discriminatory, sexists, genderists systems? Right. So, you know, it starts with our own, you know, um, our, ourselves, but also uh, what's hard is that you have, in our culture, there are pundits that are not helpful, mm-hmm. let's just say. Mm-hmm. They're not helpful. When I think about the Jordan Petersons of the world, when I think about the Bill Mars who purport to be libertarian, they're not helping. Mm-hmm. And people follow them because who are men's role models? Right. Mm-hmm. Who are the role models? Mm-hmm. Outside of maybe you'll have a few men saying my father, Many of them look towards these kind of, like you know, these kind of I, you know, idolistic kind of iconic figures. Um, when we look at Trumpism in terms of, I was just going to say that, you know, yeah. and I'm in, in I'm in Canada, so I, I'm following it. I mean, right. internationally we're following it. Right. Um, that we look at is it a? It's not about his policies. It's about the figure. Right. It's yeah. about the charismaticism that men strive to have because that charismaticism equates to capitalistic gains Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i mean of course we in this field can see this right but then how do we then what how do we systemically shift that and i think having these meaningful the more meaningful conversations that we can have that are accessible Mm -hmm. Um, the more that we can be in spaces where here's the thing about us as sexuality educators, we're invited in where we're invited. Exactly. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we, you know, these are, and sometimes where we're invited in, there are um, boundaries and what we are to talk about able to, do. to deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it is about meeting people where they are. Okay? Mm-hmm. The work that you do in uh, places of faith, um the the work that I do, which is going on to the forums mm-hmm. um, and just having conversations. Um, I have a an account on FetLife. For those who aren't aware, it's mm-hmm. a it's a it, it is a website for those um, engaging in fetish and uh, BDSM um, lifestyle and comma lifestyles. Mm-hmm. So um I, you know, I, I participate in it. What's challenging is that these are voluntary, right? These, right. Aren't, these are all voluntary. Um, and so it requires a lot of, or much emotional and mental labor to engage. Sure. Sure. But we, I, we all have a collective responsibility. And I think that when we engage with leaders, for me, it's now because I am a corporate sexologist that I engage with the CEOs, the leadership, the HR, um, management um, on uh, emotional literacy and psychological safety wow. and train the trainer mm-hmm. on, and modeling those with those in positions of power, modeling what it means to think and reframe um, aspects of self mm-hmm. or invita- invite aspects of self to come forward. Right. Well, I was just thinking, and this was one of the questions I had, was that, okay, so bear with me because I might be going in a spiral here, but we were talking about essentially like this power, like we have these figures who become these male, you know, role models as this power figure, right? And so I think in general, when I think about um, a sense of power. I also think about the messages we're giving men in the sense of, if you think about consent, let's say, right? So we're thinking about consent and it has become, we're doing a better job teaching about it, but before it was felt very gendered, right? Where it was like the woman has to make the decision around the yes and the no. We're like, that's how it was kind of taught. And it was, I felt like with men, it was like, you receive it without um, having much responsibility. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like with some of the ways that we initially taught consent and I was like, so it feels like we're actually 
not giving men, how can I say this? It's like we're giving, we have, we're giving them a lot of expectation in the capitalist area and we're giving them very little expectation in the relationship area. Does that make sense in terms of, um, well, it's almost saying like, well, we're not expecting you to be capable of this. And so we're not going to put that expectation on you to follow through in that area of consent, so to say. And then I think about the fact that really what all of us are trying to do in this, in this um, search for power is actually finding our agency, right? Like I feel like in order for us to help one another, it's like, we have to be able to allow each person to live within their own power and find what that is and what does that mean? Instead of searching for these outside definitions of power that are just a facade in a way, because even if we have those, it doesn't, it also doesn't matter if we feel crummy about who we are, right? It's still just like an illusion. And so then I think to myself, is this what leads then to what we, the other phrase that people throw around all the time of male fragility? You know how people are like, oh, male fragility. And I'm wondering, I'm like, does all of this play together? Because Mm -hmm. we aren't giving them that sense of Mm -hmm. agency of feeling their emotions and autonomy around that. And then we're also being like, but you have to be like this, (laughs) right? So it's not allowing the two to connect. I'm I'm following you. And, okay. And I and um and that your conceptualization really does resonate um in terms of the how and the why mm-hmm. we've come to be. When I think about men and um the for the 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 world in which they are born in, which is you know, really hegemonic, binary, um, heterocentric, um, masculine, without, well, I also want to say that, you know, I want to make sure that I'm clear that masculinity in and of itself Mm -hmm. is um, not inherently bad. Right. It's the the understanding that there are breadths and depths of masculinity um, that are just as valid as well as femininity that mm-hmm. is embodied by cisgender um, and transgender men. That when I think about how the system is, the system is toxic. Mm-hmm. The system is toxic. And so right. not necessarily, identities aren't toxic, the system is toxic. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about when boys are, you have this presumably cisgender boy, mm-hmm. you're straight, presumably, and he is um, has these um, un- there's these expectations um, that are that are uh, tangible, intangible, conscious and unconscious that are thrusted upon him. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. So his identity is already he he already is set up for failure because he doesn't have his identity. Like he he's not entitled to his own self agency in terms of him being a, a human, being a person. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Because his trajectory is already set out for him, mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so if he doesn't have his identity, and um, but we are, as human beings, search for validation. Right. Um, right. And hopefully, in healthier instances, we have our own sense of internalized validation. But if that's not nurtured, because that's right, taken away from him, he's going to be searching externally for that validation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that validation w- within our capitalistic society uh, now becomes predictable. What what he's searching for, how he's getting validated. Yeah. When um, we're we're transcending, not just about him not connecting with his feelings and emotions, but we already are, are setting this person up to not have an identity. Mm-hmm. And so how I work with men um, is to start to go internal, which is what are your, your core values? Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of core values work and it is foreign to mm-hmm. so many men 
what that even means. Yeah. Interesting. He comes to me because he's, you know, he has, you know, conflict with his relationship. And I'll start off by saying, what are your core values when it comes to a relationship? And he is, he's just like, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what that means. Hmm. And he'll think, you know, we, we have commonalities, we have these activities that are, you know, that we share and, and I, and I say, yes, that, I mean, that's, that's valid, but I mean, I wonder what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Like for you, if I were to describe you, how would you describe you or how would, how would someone describe you? And he would just, I mean, that, that is, you know, it's a hard question for any of us to answer right. sometimes, like yeah. until we do that deeper dive work with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'm following you in terms of, um, and just complimenting that when I look at this, I look at, you know, the setup for failure because his, his identity from the get-go uh, is already compromised or his sense of identity is already right. compromised as he's, well, as soon as he's born or even in utero, mm-hmm. if people want to know the quote unquote sex of the person, right? So it's, it's almost like his, his trajectory before this person is born is already set. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about, you know, I have a son and I say to him all the time, I say, one of the best things about you is your heart, because he is such a compassionate person, just so caring, is one of the people who like, we'll be watching it, you know, TV together, and maybe there's a really sweet commercial on, and <laughs> he and I have both cried during it. Um, but he just, he really has a strong sense of empathy for others and compassion, and I have said multiple times to him, I'm like, I just want you to know that having compassion and empathy like you do is a superpower. And mm-hmm. I hope that you hold on to that. I'm like, because really like what you have is what the world needs. You know, I'm like, so keep holding that on to that. And, but, you know, me as a mom <laughs> who knows also how the world can work, I sometimes feel very scared for like how people will you know, perceive him and, you know, and things like this. And he's already said, like, on a soccer team, uh, a friend of his was like, you know, when they get rough with you, just get rougher and just, you know, kick them or do something like that. And he's like, I can't, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm too kind is what he said in response. And which I was really proud of. I was like, that's great. But so I'm curious you know, from a mother's standpoint and things and from where you have been seeing in terms of what's coming into your office and also as an educator yourself, um, what do you think is the major thing that's negatively affecting young men today? Oh, did you say a thing? (laughs) Just one. You can only name one. (laughs) Okay. What are the things? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like let's expand um, this slightly <laughs> well yeah you, you, and especially sh- around sex since we're sex educators too if you want to do that as well yeah mm. you know the oh gosh I mean there there's just so much it's I you know I because I'm my mind is so tra- is trained as a sociologist mm-hmm. and and I was a sociologist before a sex educator. So I think about, I constantly think about systems. Right, of I'm, course. I'm much more of a, a big systems person. Um, I think if anything, um, maybe I could answer this in my, in a way that I want to, again, I want to, I want to, um, I want to compliment what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's more of what, what men need more of, mm-hmm. I think. And sure. I think it's going to help answer the question of what can women do? Yeah. <laughs> How can I be a help? <laughs> but so I love, I love how you are raising your son. Oh, thank you. With mm-hmm. the expression, you know, nurturing um, his compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I lean more towards compassion than empathy. As for some people, empathy can be very um, difficult, um, particularly depending on your personality and how you view the world. It can be a bit difficult, but certainly um, we can cultivate compassion 
-hmm. We could cultivate compassion through understanding. And, um, and that's what I would say in terms of um, interpersonal relationships, erotic relationships, and really thinking of compassionately about yourself, mm-hmm. the self-compassion, being kind mm-hmm. to the self, mm-hmm. um, listening to the self, but also be kind and hold space for the other, whoever mm-hmm. the other is. So in terms of um, w- women, female partners, let's just say, mm-hmm. that one of the things that um, men often share with me is how um, they find that they're often criticized by their partner and not recognized for um, their efforts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she'll say, you haven't done this, but he'll say, but I've done that. Right. Or I've done right. this instead. Mm-hmm. And she'll say, um, you're not listening. And he'll say, sometimes I'm not because I'm full of anxiety of what I did wrong. Hmm. And I'm just waiting for there essentially to be told again that I'm not good enough. Oh, what I did is Yeah. That so stinks. remember that we are in this, let's, let's frame this. My work with, and this is where my sociology, where our sociology comes in, where gender comes in, where me as a sex educator comes in is saying that we are in a capitalistic society that says that what we do, especially for men, is um, is an indicator of one's worth. Yeah. Uh, or what they, you know, uh, or ways of um, connection is through what I can share, what I can give, the tangible, what I can fix, mm-hmm. as opposed to this is all external again. These are all external processes yeah. and not internal. And so his bid for connection is, I want to fix, I want to solve, because I love you so much, I want to be helpful. And she keeps saying, that's not what I need, right? And so, um, but he has not essentially been conditioned to hold space. Like he has not been conditioned, nor has he had the examples or role models um, that Mm -hmm. model slowing down, leaning in, asking for clarification. He has not had those role models. So can I just say that I feel like we've all been set up for failure? (laughs) Well, sometimes I feel like we've all been set up for failure because I think about like what you're saying and I'm just going to, I don't know how appreciative my husband would be of this, but I see this even within our relationship and in the beginning. And I keep also thinking about So the issues, as we think of systems, is we have given the men this narrative, right, that you're just speaking of. And then for women, and the narrative I received growing up was my worth was the man I was going to marry, right? So my, I didn't, I wasn't given the expectations of you have to have a certain career, you need to excel in school. I was told, do the best you can. And then mine was, you just be happy and find a husband kind of thing right and so then as a as i think of a woman then we're given this narrative of your worth resides with the man you're with and we're given that fairy tale from very early on with all the disney films of we will be saved (laughs) right and so i think maybe subconsciously we put that onto the man of like okay now you're going to meet all of our needs and you're going to know exactly how to do that. Mm, ouch. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm wondering if that is like, if there's like this projection mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. that we're all throwing at each other and really all of it's wrong. <laughs> like we have just been given really bad models. Mm-hmm. All of us have been given these horrible expectations of what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And so it is like what you've talked about of, of all partners even in um whatever kind of partnership you're in a queer relationship too mm-hmm. is is slowing down is going inward and i think asking the questions of what do i need and what do i want because so much of us don't even know what that means right and then learning how to 
come together to talk about that because I think mm-hmm. again, like, I don't know everything you were saying. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. We have this and that's failing for them. And we have this over here for women and that's failing, <laughs> you know? Right. right. Yeah. Where's the, where's the space for the collaborative we? Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to me versus you, mm-hmm. which tends to be the, you know, the kind of the framework when it comes to conflict. It is. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, conflict being can be positive if if it's a collaborative we in tackling the issue together. Right. Yeah. And I think too, I think one of the problems I think we struggle with as a society too, as a system, is the expectations too of work and schedules and busyness. Mm-hmm. That so many people are just like exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. then we look at things as I think blaming mm-hmm. instead of finding those moments of the collaborative we like you've talked about. Yeah. And then of course there's a larger question, you know, in terms of why do we need to work so hard? Mm-hmm. Why do we need to have certain kind of why do we need to, you know, I mean, it's important for us to have the why is it important to have all the things, right? And so mm-hmm. there there's just so many, you know, subconscious pressures that both conscious and subconscious pressures that people have to survive in this world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially it, it compounded by um, what's going on sociopolitically, um, what, what our future is going to hold in terms of scarcity, then becomes much more kind of a we were operating out of desperation and out of franticness mm-hmm. uh it and are pulled in so many directions and it's not you know we there isn't the space for individuals and and since we're talking about men for men to really kind of um there just isn't the opportunity or the safer environments for men to start to engage more internally right Mm-hmm. And so there, I, I don't want to paint a bleak picture because, there, but there are more and more men, including your own child, your own kiddo there, mm-hmm. um, who is building this or recognizing the, the relationship within that he is not a robot. Mm-hmm. He is not, you know, meant to be performative and that um f- to transcend his masculinity i mean that's a part of his identity um but who is he as a person mm-hmm. who is he as a human and all of us regardless of sex and gender have all have humanistic needs right that is um you know you know a, th- a thread within all of us thread within all of us and so um you know i think by um by well, first of all, I mean, gosh, if we, if us as therapists and as sexuality educators had a, a much wider platform, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, there's also, you know, who who can access us, um, it's it's very cost prohibitive for folks as you and I are aware of. Right. Um, it's not covered universally. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, in Canada, I have, in a sense, universal health care, which I'm grateful for. Uh, but it's not good enough. Even in, in our comparative systems of access to services, it's not good enough. Hmm. Um, and so I hope that in our future that um, there would be, our spaces would be a lot more accessible because men do want access to these spaces. They truly do. Yeah. They just don't know how to do it, especially in their busy lives. Um, and this, of course, is, is a common narrative with, with all genders. You know, there's busyness, there's caregiving, there mm-hmm. is like jobs, there is mental health, there is money for these programs or access to our spaces. It's complicated. Yeah, for sure. But sometimes, you know, these, you know, I do see these glimmers of hope where, where there are those in the education system who are teachers, who are men or I see these really good men who are um, in healthcare, um, mm-hmm. in service sectors, in corporate, who want to do this work and see the 
the value of uh, emotional literacy for men. Mm -hmm. They see the value in it. If I have Mm -hmm. to use capitalistic language, sometimes I got to present it that way. Sure. It's like much more, you know, um, if you are much more emotionally literate or connect with yourself, not only would you be better in the boardroom, but you'd be better in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) it is essentially the same skill set. My my colleague, Jessica O'Reilly, does these workshops with a lot of corporate people about the intersections of bedroom and boardroom, about being able to listen, hold space, um, reflect, um, um, communicate, engage, oh. right? And mm-hmm. these are all good bedroom approaches yeah. <laughs> that work very well in business. Oh, that's so fascinating. <laughs> I don't know why I've not heard this before. <laughs> I should have heard the yeah. uh, correlation there. Here's the thing about, you know, as sex educators, right? We're becoming much more innovative mm-hmm. in doing our work. We're, that is we true. Are, yeah, we are intersecting ourselves in, in sectors that, um, that folks are, where it's not traditional. Like most people, what, see us as sex educators in the classroom doing sex ed training, maybe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sex ed delivery will be a, will be a speaker once in a while, but we're pretty much everywhere. I mean, we, we are in, you know, we are consulting. I, I also consult with a number of faith leaders, priests, um, particularly, again, as I mentioned about um, corporate CEOs, um, there are organizations of, of presidents and CEOs that get together that bring us in to talk about intimacy and the yeah. intersections of intimacy and corporate. I mean, it's, it's all there. It's just hmm. that it's just not as known because it seems yeah. a bit too controversial. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I wanted to ask you because as someone who's a therapist and a professor, mm-hmm. I know you get to see a lot of aha moments from people. And so I'm curious, and I'm more curious right now with your teaching, what is standing out for you that most of the students are seeing as an aha moment? Hmm. Um, I will say in my experience um, with the specific class that I teach, a number Hmm. of those who are emerging as sex educators are um, isolated and Mm -hmm. um, stigmatized, branded as bad people mm-hmm. yeah. um, are rejected or also are uh, fearing um, retribution, punishment, and even their wellness, physical wellness. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much more of an aha moment, but a that they are not alone, that this is, yeah. this is a hard profession. This is a difficult profession. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, and yet there is a deep compel compelment to engage in the profession. Right. To do the hard to do. I mean, it is risky work. I mean, there was a meeting yesterday that I had um, at, at City Hall. Um, and I, I was offered a security escort to leave. Wow. And you know, it was one of the first times I was offered security escort um to leave a um a municipal building. Wow. Um, in the last time that I felt whether it was a threat was when I was in high school, when I came out of the closet years ago, mm-hmm. but this is now, this is, these are now adults who right. are really fearing that there is an indoctrinization that is going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, us as sex educators who are really just talking about delivering information about human development, right. Uh, that are indoctrinated. And so the, you know, kind of reframing again, the, you know, the, the question is, it's more of, it's spaces that the class that I teach are spaces for, um, it can be very therapeutic. Yeah. And um, they are engaged with one another, that, that they are not alone, that they're supported, that they're loved, that they're knowing that this is hard work, that they have each other's backs, that after class, after the completion of the class, that they have formed connections with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, there isn't necessarily anything new other than, I mean, yeah, there's new knowledge. Sure, yeah. there's new knowledge. But for many of us as sex educators, we do a lot of our own homework. We, we're often engaged in social media. What's the newest um, 
um, research that's out there, um, it's, through, through articles, short articles, short films, where many of us are already engaged, and a lot of these students are already engaged. Oh, yeah. They just, they, that where they're going is, is really ethically the right direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From an ethics point of view, they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. They are ex- expanding how to do it well, being more trauma-informed, to think more intersectionally in the work that they do. I guess those are the kind of more of the academic um, inspirational moments that they have, is that right. ooh, I could be even much more expansive in what I do. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's so. That's that's what I would say to to answer that that question. I uh, upon graduating from my sex education program back like ten years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, my professor said to me, "Oh, so you're doing you're working with people of faith and doing this?" And I was like, "Well, that's the goal." <laughs> She's like, "Well, develop a thick skin." <laughs> and I was like, "All right." And she's like, "You're gonna need it." She's mm. like, it's really hard to do this work and to do sex education. People already get mad at you for it. And she's like, and throw in religion. She's like, it's going to get worse. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Is that your experience? Like, has that been your experience? No, you know, um, I will say that I also don't, I think very carefully and intentionally about, about this. And um, one, because I... I mean, first and foremost, I I operate first as a mom, so mm-hmm. I very much want to keep my kids safe. And so I've also made the decision to not be maybe as public as, even though I have a podcast and stuff, but um, as public as I could be. But also, you know, when I'm in these, I'm also invited into these faith spaces. Some of the people who may not want me there. I'm not invited into those spaces. Right. Um, but I try to make it very clear in these spaces of setting a very intentional feeling, you know, like I want people to feel nourished. I want them to feel like we can enter a brave space. For instance, I'm going to be doing a talk later today. And in my, I always have guidelines of how we're going to be. And one of the things I say is this is a learning environment. So of course we're going to make mistakes. Mm Um, uh, and so I try to make it clear that, you know, when we talk about sexuality, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope that we can have an open heart and mind while we're doing this mm-hmm. and to just care for one another. And we're, you know, even today, I'm going to say we're going to practice using inclusive language. I understand that some of us may not know how to do that. And so it's okay. Like, I just try to let people know, like, it's okay. We're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, is to, to engage and to learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And so really there's times where I've had conflict that has come up. And when that happens, I stop whatever we're doing and we address the conflict. Mm-hmm. And then we take a moment and we recollect, <laughs> you know, and then we move on. And it's always mm-hmm. been like, I've always felt fine and I think I've always been respected in those spaces, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know how people outside see me, <laughs> like of not being one-on-one with me, but um, within those spaces, but. Well, you, you know, um, you can face such a warm energy, you know, I'm not surprised. You can, you know, enter, cultivate and, and nourish these spaces where people can bring themselves forward and also hold space for building their own capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of also what you do with teaching, you do a lot of work around the intersection intersectionality of race and sex in your classes uh, that you're very intentional about. Can you speak more about that mm-hmm. and why you think that's very, and why it is very important? Yeah. I, I, I want to start by talking about this word intersectionality because yeah. I, I'm, I'm seeing more and more um, media pundits listing mm-hmm. the intention with the sure. word is, okay. the meaning and the intention of the word. And so when we look at who coined the word Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, mm-hmm. intersectionality, 
Now, intersectionality, she describes intersectionality as really looking at um, how people's contexts, like the systems and their contexts mm -hmm. um, intersect and that can impact, that could impact people's relationships, whether it's in the professional or even, and in this case, she was talking about professional realms in terms of their experiences of discrimination based on their contexts. Yeah. Um, and focusing on a, a, a legal case uh, with uh, Black women. And so intersectionality is the, the, the experiences, the discriminatory experiences that people, uh, of people, of individuals based on their um, context, based on their, the, the, the identities that they hold and what comes forward in, again, their context and in their situations. I can experience one kind of discrimination as a uh, brown, queer, gender fluid person in mm -hmm. queer communities, mm -hmm. which can be similar and different than my experience of discrimination when I am a corporate educator in, in that milieu. Mm -hmm. That the, my experiences of experience discrimination can be different depending on my context and depending on the situation. And that's essentially that, you know, in terms of when I talk about intersectionality, that we need to be aware of people's contexts and be aware of the systems in which they are in those contexts. Right. And so um, if anything, it's how can we think more intersectionally? How mm -hmm. can we deliver our, whether we're sex educators or therapists, how can we do our work more intersectionally? Otherwise, we are contributing to what Crenshaw talks about, which is systemic failure. That mm. we would, it would be then in our our failure, not the individual's right. failure, to not succeed. Right? It is our failure to not be aware of how our systems are not taking into account the context of people's lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, as sex educators. Um, doing sex ed intersectionally doesn't just mean that uh, we advocate for for free condoms, for example. Right. Um, that that's a part of it. However, if those condoms are a community health center, which that community health center is only within a particular catchment, so only some people have access to those to that community health center, or if those individuals don't have financial means to take the bus to get the free condoms mm -hmm. uh, at the community health center, mm -hmm. we're not, th we then engage in systemic failure. Right. So right. thinking beyond that, or then what does it mean if you are someone who is in a community that, um, that is that has certain uh, moral ideas about uh, of sex uh, with whether it's with yourself or other people that then may come into the the mix as well. So we we need to look at um, not just an you know something that's if we want to look at certain outcomes it's really important but we need to think intersectionally of how can we better achieve those outcomes. Right. So that's that's essentially how I talk about it. This is not about, you know, I think what, what, where, where media is getting at is that, that it's under the language of um, meritocracy. Um, in other words, that, in other words, you, if you do, if you can't access those condoms, it's your fault. Right. You Which... chose not to access those condoms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I, mm -hmm, I love bringing this conversation up for people because I, I remember even, I mean, being a white middle-class woman who grew up in a very white town, like even when this stuff started to like mm -hmm. process, when I started processing this, I was like, of course, like, <laughs> what are we doing? Right. In terms of, I feel like so many people don't, think about or maybe are in tune to the fact like we have to think of accessibility we have to think about you know if a young person's going to use a condom how they are going to get it what does that mean 
and we're the communities that's doing that and you know all of this and I just feel like it's such it's a it's a spot for and maybe I'm just speaking within the middle class white population that I think they're not always thinking about and I think it's a it's a spot that mm-hmm. that they don't see that they don't think about that and then I don't know I like to bring all this up in the communities that I teach in because it's just everything you know I tell everyone I'm like when I learned about sexuality I learned more about our systems mm-hmm. and how sometimes they fail us mm-hmm. and how they're not um, meeting everyone's needs yeah. and how we are inevitably just almost playing around of cards <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know what hand are you being dealt you know yeah, yeah. And this is where, you know, for those who are interested, we're looking at social determinants of health, you know, what are those systemic barriers that, and also those systemic barriers. But I also believe that it also comes down to, you know, how do we start changing that narrative is, is how can we better um, engage people in thinking about what are your core values when it comes to other humans and differences? Right. Mm-hmm. What are your core values when it comes to fairness? Mm-hmm. when others may not have the same advantages that you do what is you know mm-hmm. if, if your core value is um that we're all in this together mm-hmm. we're all in this together in community mm-hmm. um can that then be a foundation to um encouraging folks to embrace thinking and being more intersectional in right whatever context and whether it's personal or professional right exactly. you're now then engaging in that core value that all humans and their differences are valued there isn't a hierarchy of value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That your your humanness is of value yeah and that's of it course. <laughs> yeah that, that's exactly. that's it right mm-hmm. and so this is you know where we lack we could see the lack of understanding when people say when cultures say um in in, in you know the when i think about um black lives matter and then the the the, the slogan then gets co-opted by mm-hmm. you know all people matter well yeah. sure in, in the circumstance so long as the circumstances and and mm-hmm. our systems support all people in their right. differences right sure. mm-hmm. with you. great and if not <laughs> that doesn't re- you know saying that does not require critical analysis right right so mm-hmm. um i you know so I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying we're, we're on the same page here we're on the same page okay <laughs> we we're about out of, we're really actually out of town time but i wanted i ask all of my guests this mm-hmm. what story are you reframing for yourself today Mm-hmm. Ooh, that is a one of those life journey questions. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, you know, I in thinking about that question, what am I reframing? I would have to go back to um, this idea that individual who you are as a core person supersedes everything. Hmm that I grew up in a culture that is Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. that is has heavy expectations in terms of success, mm-hmm. that it was very much reinforced of what the kind of profession that I should have when I grow up, mm-hmm. the kind of relationship I should have when I grow up, how I express myself in my being has mm-hmm. a certain expectation as well. Mm-hmm these are all opposite to who am I really? And what does, right. what does that, does not do the things that I want for myself not have value or worth? And so that then becomes the reframe for me, which is mm-hmm. um, the shedding of expect the, the expectations, understanding why my parents wanted this for me or wanted a certain life for me. Mm-hmm. I get it with deep compassion. Mm-hmm but that's their narrative and not mine. Right, right. And so the reframe for me is what is my narrative? Mm. 
-hmm. And that's going to shift and change so long as I am um, here on this earth. Yeah. Okay. I'm a fan of you. <laughs> this is what this has come down to. <laughs> that's how we're ending. I'm a fan. No. <laughs> no, I'm Feelings are mutual. Yeah. I just really appreciate the way I just think you just have a beautiful way of putting things into words um of inviting people into a space and you know I know we we were on a zoom meeting and it was together and it was very short but I instantly was like oh I I enjoy this person a lot and it was just the way that you I feel like you make every person feel cared for and seen um, in just even a short amount of time. And so I just want to thank you for that because I think it's a it's a gift. And so I just really appreciate what you bring into the space and into the sex therapy and sex educator world. And I hope to continue to learn from you. So thank you for being on my show today. Thanks for having me anytime.